Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. And wow, wow, this is going to open your mind to a whole new world. I just met Bob Hopkins recently on a recent trip to Dallas. Um, some of our previous guests that started uh, Barefoot Winery said, oh, you got to meet Bob. So when I was in Dallas, I rang him up and we met and um, they had shared his book with me called Philanthropy Misunderstood. And I thought, well, that's really a nice book. But when I started digging into the stories and learning what Bob knew about philanthropy, then I said, ah, we got to share this with other people. So Bob, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange and tell people a little bit about you and your passion. Thank you, thank you, Hugh. I'm so honored to be invited to be here with you as your guest today. And I'm glad to know that there are some other people that are in the book, uh, actually in the audience, your audience today and some friends. You know, um, I'm, I'm an older person and I've been around for a long time. And every 30 years, no, every 20 years, I ask myself, what am I doing and where am I going? And um, so I've divided myself into like four different segments of my life. I'm on the last 18 years. I give myself another 18 years to live. I'm trying to figure out what to do. So I'm probably going to go to a seminar called PSI in June to find out what I'm going to do next. But um, Hugh, I've been involved with this word philanthropy for the last 45, 50 years. And um, I learned more about what it means all the time. And then I became confused and realized that what I thought it was, what philanthropy was, is not. Or maybe it is part of. But that's why I had to dig into it. And I had to tell stories of 108 people who actually do philanthropic things for other people. And, I, and, and that's what this book's about. So how long have you been engaged in the the nonprofit arena with leaders and different kinds of organizations? Well, I came to Dallas in 1984 and uh, I'd just been involved in it. I was the director of development for the National Council on Alcoholism and um, learned all about this word called fundraising and philanthropy. Found out that the two of them are together as one word and one meaning, and then they're also separate things. And some people get them mixed up. They think that fundraising is about money, but so is philanthropy. And I've learned that philanthropy can be about money, but largely not. And instead, it's doing good things for others. And so um, that's how I got involved with this. But I've been in Dallas for 38 years, and I've been working in raising money and now writing a book. I did a magazine called Philanthropy in Texas for a while. And every decade, I learn a little bit more about what that word means. So, Bob, you and I are in our um, mid-70s, we'll say. And we could be sitting back, you know, chilling and not doing anything. But uh, you and I have a passion for being engaged. So why aren't you just sitting on chilling? You're teaching classes. And the stuff you're asking your students is really profound. And you're active with some, some local charities still. So why is this important to you? I don't know. 
Um, I do it because I don't know what else to do. I do play tennis and I do ride horses. And those are two of my hobbies. And I do spend a little bit of doing those two things every week. So it's not like I'm constantly thinking about philanthropy, even though I have a horse named philanthropy. But, um, you know, I watched the USDA and did you know the USDA is a nonprofit organization and they wouldn't survive if they didn't get contributions from people because, and they do good for others. Um, so I guess I'm involved with philanthropy pretty much all the time, even though I, it's all my, it's my joy. I mean, I just, I love doing it. I like talking about it. I like telling people about it. I like finding people who are doing different new things. And I found so many of those people over my 40 years that I decided to put them in a book. And so that's where philanthropy misunderstood came in. Now I had the joy of visiting a couple and the whole family does this, this it's called it's a water project. I won't get into it, but I want you to tell people you said, Oh, you call them up, said you got to meet Hugh. And I went over there and it was just an amazing, amazing visit with um, the whole family. I met, I met the couple. I didn't meet the kids, but I've heard about the kids and their involvement. So how about highlighting some of the stories? I mean, let's talk about this one first, because they're going to be guests on the show in June. Hold it just a little higher. That's, that's amazing. It's, it's folding paper. So how does that, how does that help people? Right. Well, this is a crazy story and it's a fabulous story and it's been so fabulous. It's been on Good Morning America. Neiman Marcus actually helped these girls sell these ornaments that are called origamis that they make and their church makes them with them and their schools make them with them. They have volunteers of hundreds of people who do nothing but help make them origamis and then they sell the origamis for $50, $75 a piece, something like that. And to date, they have raised over $2 million building water wells to actually give water around the world in 170 different water wells in 17 or 18 different countries. And these girls are like 15, 13, and seven years old, or 10 maybe now. And they started it when they were four, five, and six because daddy is part Japanese and he said, we need to do some origamis and one thing led to another and I'm not sure what the other is and how detailed you have to get into to find out what the thinking was of the parents about in involving their children in making these origamis. But that's their life. It is now their life. And um, these girls are so smart because they are not, they're in a business. And the 15 year old is the president of the foundation. So it's a cool thing. And we can't hear you. I just forgot. I muted myself. Um, so I went to visit and the whole house is the project and there's these volunteers that come in and do the folding. So it, it's, it's really engaged people in a focus. Now, I don't know that people can come and, and do that right now, but maybe the family can do more while the kids are out of school. But there's another story in here that's got a big picture and it's Bonnie and Michael with uh, Barefoot Winery. And they were guests a couple of months ago and they're the ones that had connected us. And tell the story about how y'all got connected in their story in the book. Well, it's so funny or interesting because Eric, who you mentioned, Eric is in your audience listening to us today is actually the one who introduced me to Bonnie and Michael and Barefoot Wine. He was the marketing director of Barefoot Wine. 
And what Bonnie and Michael did when they couldn't sell the wine because nobody wanted to buy it because there was no place to buy it. And liquor stores didn't want to buy it because nobody was asking for it. So they started giving it away to charities on the beach in beach towns, mainly starting in Florida. And he would give it to them free. And then he said, if you like it, go to your grocery store and tell them to buy it. Anyway, long story short, over 15 years, it became the number one sales in America, the number one wine in America. And so Bonnie and Michael did it through giving wine away to charitable causes. And I know that they had a marketing plan here. They said, you know, this is cause-related marketing, which is a words that we used to use. They didn't really know that it was philanthropy because they really wanted to sell wine. But it also made them feel good too. And so I've taken Bonnie and Michael actually on a philanthropy trip to Mexico. So I got to watch them in action. It didn't have anything to do with wine. It had to do with building schools and painting houses for people in Mexico. But um, yeah, it's a great story. And they're in the book and they should be. The book is, um, I guess, what you would call a coffee table book, but it's, um, it is, it is hardbound. It's a $45 book, but it's worth, you know, with uh, the, the quality of printing and the quality of the stories, amazing layout and design. You know, it, it should be a hundred dollar book. It's, it's just one of these treasures. But what, what I found my, I, I, my fourth book, which you have a copy of um, transforming power. I, I teach people how to do things, but I got to a point where I said, Hmm, People want to be inspired by stories. And that's one of the premises behind this show, the Nonprofit Exchange, is for people to tell their stories. There are people out there in the trenches that are really struggling to make ends meet, to pull people together, to rally volunteers, to rally their boards, to rally their funders. And, and so let's talk a bit about uh, more about this title and what's behind philanthropy misunderstood. What is the biggest misunderstanding on both sides, the funder and people seeking funding? Funding. What's the biggest problem on both sides with the mis? What's the biggest misunderstanding? Let's start there. Well, it started with me uh, because I was always told that philanthropy was about money, and I started a magazine called Philanthropy in Texas, and it was all about people who had money and that they gave money away. And so I'd come into my staff and I'd say. I think we need to do Boone Pickens on the front cover of the magazine. And the first question was, how much money does he give away? And that was the common question, how much money? And that was whether or not we were going to put him in the book on how much money they gave away. And finally, after a while, I realized, you know what? I know a lot of people who do so much more than writing a check, but they're never recognized. And I have this incredible woman from, from uh, Houston named Carolyn Farb who um, spends 26 hours a day helping people learn how to raise money, but also build a hospital or do all kinds of things. And she's not known to be a huge giver, even though she is a giver. So therefore her, her picture would not be on the front cover of anything because of money, but it would be because of the word philanthropy. So I realized because of Carolyn that I was talking to the wrong people and that I need to be talking with people that are in the book. So the people in the book probably give money as well, but that wasn't what I wanted to focus on. I want them to tell me why they do what they do. Why do they build origamis and build water wells around the world? They don't get any money for it. They don't get anything for it. 
and they don't give any money. They give things. Well, they do give money because they do raise money in their case. But Bonnie and Michael, you know, they give money too, but instead they gave one. And Chip Ritchie, who's in your audience, gives his time and effort and expertise in filmmaking. He's made lots of films about the Indians and Oklahoma. And then he did things for me for my philanthropy courses. And there's Jordy Turk, who's in your audience, who was a student of mine, who volunteered on his own dime to come to Dallas and to video my launch party. And his name is not even on the, on the, on the piece, but he did it. And he loved it and he was happy about it. And I think that's what philanthropy does more so than what money does is it gives you joy. And that's what everybody says is that I get so much more out of what I did than what I got. I mean, than what I gave. <laughs> well, philanthropy is both. It's it, we gotta, we gotta run the organization. It's like having a car, you gotta put gas in it. Uh, but there's there's a bigger bigger piece to this it's not money alone sometimes people want to give money to solve their conscience they ought to be doing something and they're not really involved with it so they want to want to buy a place and give it to them but buying a place and then stepping up and working so talk about the synergy of the two of those together well um you know i'm a giver but nobody would ever recognize me as a as a financial giver, because I give a hundred or two hundred dollars or twenty-five dollars or fifty dollars or whatever. And I'm involved with a lot of organizations. And I give not necessarily because I even love the organization, but I love the person that I that's asking me. So I write a check in order to connect continue this relationship I have with this person as a friend or as a, a person who's you know works with me or whatever. But when I actually take on a project and I get my feet dirty and my hands wet and I go out and build something or I paint, I come back tired, but for some reason I give myself this secret pat on my shoulder and say, you did good today, Bobby. Because that's what happened to me when I was five years old. My mother and I went to give groceries in a trailer park in Garden City, Kansas. And we walked away and I felt this hand on my shoulder and it was patting my shoulder and it said, you did good today, Bobby. And I looked around and there was nobody there. But that's the feeling that I have gotten because of giving my time and my efforts as opposed to writing a check to get you off my back, to say, go, I put my name yeah. someplace, do it. And they go, oh, wow, $100, thank you so much. And then they come back the next year and they do the, and does the same thing. And there's just a difference. There's a real difference between the people who actually are in the trenches and the people who aren't. Well, I, I think it's important um, to give at any level. And you say you're not going to get recognized for $25, but or 30 or 40 or $50. But if we get a lot of people who support us in their time, talent, money, you know, you give your time, you give your talent, you give your money. There's a, there's a triage there that really, those all magnify each other. And if you got the synergy, you got one person to give $25, great. You got a thousand people to give $25, then you're, you're, paying, uh, you're paying salaries, rent, and some of the operating costs. 
Now you can really rev up the engines and you know focus on your mission. I do find that a lot of charities are compromised in, in many ways. And as you know, the story of Center Vision is we want to empower leaders to actually step up to the level that they can take the organization. I noticed there's some of your students here from the class. And I want to talk about them as well. I think I see Landy. I mean Landon. Um, but but there's a there's a synergy in those three, and so we spend we spend time teaching leaders how to raise the bar on their performance, so we know how to engage people who are philanthropic minded. There's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff here. Chip um, Bob has given many of us the gift of learning to give, and it is life changing. Oh, what a quote that is! So. Um, Talk about your students. I, I got to sit in on three classes last week, and you're you're doing this um, Zoom group session education, which is quite remarkable. And your gracious spirit with them, you are a giver. Your gracious spirit with them, and and you see what's inside them, and you see potential that maybe some of them don't see in themselves. But talk about. You said to me. Um, you challenged them to think about writing a eulogy, but you also mentioned this doing some research on a nonprofit organization, and there was a need for you to have to explain what that meant. What is a nonprofit? So talk a little bit about the class, and some of the students, if you have questions, go ahead and put it in the chat, and a comment or a question is welcome. So Bob, let me shut up and let you go there. Right, you know, um... I taught at a university here and I was teaching business, business and professional speaking. And I decided I wanted to bring in my love and my passion into my course. Now, how am I going to bring my love and my passion into the course when philanthropy is not in the syllabus? So I included philanthropy in the syllabus, which you talk about in front of the classes in business are going to talk about nonprofit businesses. And they'd never heard of a nonprofit business, even though they had, they knew what the Salvation Army and the Red Cross was, and they knew what, what um, Boys and Girls Club and Boy Scouts are. But they didn't know they were nonprofit organizations, and they didn't know there were 2 million of them in the United States. And they didn't know that half of the things that are really positive about our country is philanthropy. They didn't know that. And so I said, okay, let's, let's have you all look at a nonprofit that you're connected with. And they had no idea they were even connected with one. And uh, Landon, who's there, is one of your one of my students, and you mentioned his name. He's a he's a student, new student this semester. He's in my class right now, and you actually asked him a question, and asked him to talk when you were in my class, and he did, and he has a passion. You can feel it when he talks about the things that he does or can do, and wants to do, to serve people in our community. And what we do, what I'm doing is, is there's a, maybe a small fire underneath them already, and I'm just turn up the heat. And they get passionate about it, and I empower them to do something about it once they learn about the fact that they can do it. They can do something just on their own. And Landon's one of those. He has uh, several physical problems, and one of them's with his, his eyes. And so he picked a nonprofit organization that had to do with sight. And he loves being involved with something that he can connect with and understand. And we all do, we all can. You know, I'm attention deficit. There's an organization, a nonprofit organization. There's a school that has to do with nonprofit, uh, with children teaching children about 
dyslexia and attention deficit disorders. So there's something that I can do. There's something everybody can do because we all have something that we're connected with and we just didn't know it. Yeah, I was, um, I was just going to come in and say hello. And I've stayed most, I, th I think I stayed the whole class for two of them. Um, so we got Chip, we got Don, Eric, uh, Jeffrey, Landon, Nancy, Penny, and Sandy from our office uh, on there so far watching. And then people on the webpage watching it as the live stream on, on, um, on YouTube. And people, um, you can share this, send them back to the page on the website, uh, thenonprofitexchange.org, the nonprofitexchange.org. You can go there. There's the, the upcoming version and the last version. And then you can click on the archive and you can see six years worth of these really great interviews. And today is, you know, it's on top of the pile. It's in quality and, and recent history. We're recording this in the middle of being sequestered at home where it's a it's a time of refreshing refreshing renewal revising and thinking about how when we go back to work how we're going to define the new normal and we are leaders we will reset the bar and i don't think we're going to go back to what we did before now most of these people in the book didn't do things in ordinary ways that's why they're in the book but i think these these stories will inspire others not to just do the same old thing that they already always had observed, but to think about what do they bring to the table that's really special and what's the new opportunity. So Bob, let's dig into some more of these stories. The book is divided into sections. Uh, talk a little bit about why that is and why that's important. Well, um, I had some great people working with me. Tom Dolphins from Kansas City is the one who designed the book. And, you know, the book's so attractive that people want to find out what it is. It's not just the words, but it's the design. And Ann Vigola, uh, actually from Lawrence, Kansas, started out as my editor, and she happened to be a student of mine prior to that. And Ann spent a lot of time actually trying to figure out how to organize this book, because as being an attention deficit person, I have all this information up here. I didn't know how to actually organize it. And so it was organized starting out with topics. We did one day at a time because I'm a recovering alcoholic and I wanted to talk a little bit about that topic. Uh, one day at a time also had to do with the AIDS epidemic. I had a brother who died of AIDS and I wanted to focus a little bit on that. So every story in here, not story, but every person in here has had something to do in my life. So people would say, you didn't do so-and-so. They're such a great person. And I said, I know, but I didn't work with them. So all these people I've really wor worked with and all the stories in here, Many of them I had something to do with. Um, Chip got me involved, or I got me involved in the Phoenix Project, or maybe I got him involved in the Phoenix Project, which was helping warriors coming home from war, connecting with their spouses on retreats with horses and massages. And Chip actually put together a video about this whole thing. And I was involved with that. I went to the sweat lodges with these warriors, I watched them connect and relate to each other. So they're all stories that I have been involved with in one way or another. And that's one of the things, one of the stories I like really a lot. Uh, Jordy, who's in your audience, worked with me with the poorest of the poor kids in Mexico, in Guanajuato, Mexico, Leon. We would go to the poorest school and I would tell the teachers, I wanna take your kids for just an hour once a week and bring in 20 of my students and we're gonna teach them philanthropy. 
and we watch children change just because of a handshake, for instance. And Jordy was able to volunteer his time, even though he was a student of mine, volunteer his time to put this fabulous uh, piece together that is on YouTube and it's a lot of different places. But these are all stories that we were able, some of the stories that we were able to actually capture. I wish I'd had these two men together with me for all of the stories because somebody's even contacted me and say, you know, we need to make a movie here with, with these, these shorts, these short stories, because some of them still have long lasting things. One of the people in Mexico said, you know, just teaching a child to do a handshake and watch her change as a person week after week after week has changed me as a person, she said. And it does, you know, when you do philanthropy, it changes you. That's a great soundbite. You know, serving uh, churches with a music ministry for 40 years, I took many mission trips and we went to give them something. But you know what? We came back having received a lot more than we tried to give away. There's a reciprocity to giving. You're a giver, but you're blessed by your giving. You're enriched by your giving. You, you, uh, you give stuff away, but it really impacts you. When I'm with you, you're just full of energy and you're this most passionate, um, energized person, purpose, purposeful person. Um, so, so what, what more about the book? You, you've got some stories. Was there a story here that in delving into their story for the book that really moved you more than any other story? Yeah, we uh, took a vote in our, in our little group who put this book together, Anne and Tom and I, and there's one called Bridging the Gap. And it uh, is written by Morgan Herm, and he's a school teacher. And he talks about a bridge, bridging the gap. He talks about a bridge that's in Pennsylvania. He lives in Pennsylvania, that he would go and meditate. And all of a sudden, on this bridge, he noticed that somebody had put in a letter into the, between the planks. And so he opened it up, opened the letter, and it was a letter that a person had written about them being able to become at peace with themselves because of meditating on this bridge. So then another person, he put the letter back and then somebody else would put another letter in. And then there were a collection of letters that people would put in about how this bridge had brought them peace and that it helped them through their divorce or it helped them through their domestic violence or whatever. And so bridging the gap became kind of going to, would love to have it be a movie one day, but finally, Morgan built a mailbox so that people could actually put their letters in the mailbox and they could read each other's letters to see. And I think that's philanthropy. I think that bridge serves as a philanthropic metaphor example of, um, you know, peace and love. And um, so anyway, that's one of my favorite. And it's written so well because Morgan's an English teacher and he's a writer. So each, each um, contributor wrote their own story. They wrote their own stories. There was a couple of them that I wrote their stories. There's a woman named Ruth Altshuler in Dallas who died last year and, and I wanted her in the book. And um, so I went to her husband and said, would you write this for me? And he said, no, I can't write anymore. I don't write. And I said, let me write Ruth's story and then you approve it. And he said, okay, he would. So yes, most of the people wrote their own stories. Hmm. Hmm. One lady wrote um, a story that I told her, I told everybody a thousand words. It was 5,000 words. 
and I read it and realized I couldn't cut anything out because it's the history of Swiss Avenue, which is one of the oldest historic districts in the United States. And she called it philanthropy built our neighborhood. And it's about when the houses, the big mansions on Swiss Avenue became run down in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s. And you could buy a piece of property here for 10 or 15, $25,000, which are now going for 2 million back in the old days. And she wanted to tell the story of what happened and how it became a fabulous neighborhood that is looked upon as one of the premier places, premier places to live in the United States. And so it ended up being 10 pages and I left the 5,000 words. So it is the longest story and it wasn't meant to be that way, but I couldn't take it out. And it's really, it's really well done. You said here, is it in Dallas? Yes, right. And it's right. It's I live in that district. I live in the Swiss Avenue Historic District. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, Landon has a question. You want to entertain the question? Sure. Um, Landon, uh, if you got your mic on, um, you could ask it yourself. Uh, Landon, you're you're a lot. You're live. So uh, if you got your mic on, Landon, do you want to talk to us? Ask the question. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, sir. Uh, my question is, is, let's say I have an idea of a nonprofit that I would like to start, but I really don't know exactly how or where to start at or exactly who to talk to about get, getting started with what I want to do. What would be your advice to some of us students who may have, have these ideas, just don't know how to work out those ideas? That question is for your professor? Either one of you guys. <laughs> we'll tag team on it. So, Bob, go ahead. Yeah, well, he's a student of mine, and I, he and I can definitely have a talk um, about that. But we have in Dallas, and we have in Fort Worth, and in every major city in the United States, there's a Center for Nonprofit Management. And the Center for Nonprofit Management, they may have a different title, in each of the major cities is where people can go and learn about giving and learn how to start an organization, a 501c3. The who, what, where, when, why. And they have seminars all of the time. And if you, you can go to um, the Communities Foundation of Texas, you can go to the Dallas Foundation. And these are other avenues of where people are experts in this. And so yes, there is a way to do that. And Landon, I will tell you who to contact here in Dallas. And there's centers like that in every city. There's also a universal presence called Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And when you go to the nonprofitexchange.org, it'll take you to the interview page. And there's a blue button at the top of that page. It says join. And we have this community with all kinds of resources. And sometimes we find how to do strategy or how to do leadership or how to do fundraising or how to do a brand or how to do marketing. What we do is we put it in all one contiguous process so you don't have to look around. So you can go look on our site, see if that, that suits you. And and combined with working in person with some of these centers that uh, Bob's talking about, um, that would give you a leg up. Because Bob, I, I know half of the nonprofits that are started each year will close ultimately. And, and my take on it is they really haven't done a good job of looking at the market to make sure that it's not being duplicated. And they haven't really activated their board and really set themselves up for success. What is your, what is your idea of why some of those close? Uh, well, you're exactly right. Number one is um, they're usually started by people who don't have any information. All they have to do is they have a passion and you have to have the passion for the topic. 
people who have cancer. They want to start a nonprofit organization that has to do with cancer and raise money in the name of somebody. The Susan G. Komen Foundation was started by Nancy Brinker here in Dallas because her sister, Susan G. Komen, had breast cancer. And she told her before she died, I'm going to find a cure for this. So what Nancy did was she surrounded herself with experts who knew how to put together a nonprofit. And now it is the best one in the world. But I can tell you five or six right off the top of my head that didn't last more than a year because they didn't have a board of directors. They didn't know how to do the paperwork. They started raising money without knowing how to be a fundraiser. And let me tell Landon this, and I'm going to tell everybody this, that there's an association called the Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, in the United States. Of 35,000 professional fundraising people, and I was a member of this group for most of my years. I was president here in Dallas and went to all the major conferences, but there are conferences every year with AFP. And there's a luncheon in most major cities every month that bring together all the people who raise money for the nonprofits in any city. And then there's a program and somebody's actually a speaker in that program. But it's a time to network the people who have been there and done it before. And that's how you do it. Well, and building a network around you, you know, there's a, there's a peer to peer network. That's just great. But, um, you want to have a, a network of people that are even better than you. In, in my case, it's not hard to do, but you know, hang around people who've been there, who've done it, who are experts. Um, we've got Jeffrey Fulgham on, on, on the, uh, watching it. So Jeffrey, if you got your mic open, I want to allow you to talk. Uh, Jeffrey's been a member of that and is a certified fundraiser. Jeffrey, um, if you're willing to unmute your, unmute your mic and then talk to us, there you are. Sure. We can hear you. So uh, why is it important for you? You went through the certification process and you're, you know, you've studied um, development for so many years. You want to comment on what Bob said about the association and why it's important for people to understand that? Well, I've always looked at it as, um, you know, sort of a cliche of the good housekeeping seal of approval. And I think, <clears throat> I think this gets more important every day that this is a, this needs to be a profession and it needs to be professional not just in fundraisers, but in nonprofits. There has to be some standard. Um, you know, we hope it's a standard of excellence and that there has to be some standard by which people can look and say, okay, this is an organization or this is an individual that is committed to certain principles, certain basic values that transcend whatever it is that that organization is involved in. Obviously, there are certain organizations whose values are going to be different than another one, but those values are related to the mission. They're not related to an operating strategy or the integrity of the entity or the integrity of the individuals that are working within it. So what it allows us to do is to create that standard so that when someone looks at an organization, they, you know, they have GuideStar to, to go to, um, and, and the other metric organizations. But they also have a way to look and say, hey, you know, this is what these organizations support. These are the values they support. This organization belongs to them. 
and subscribes to these values. CFREs subscribe to certain values and they set the standard. And of course, ACFRE sets a standard as well. So I think it's important for people who are giving, but also for people who, who wanna get involved as volunteers, uh, who wanna go work somewhere. Do you wanna work for an organization that subscribes to certain values and has, a, has that level of integrity? So that's, that's the main reason I think it's all important. Great. Before I let you go back to your, your private listening mode, do you have a question for, for our guest uh, today about philanthropy or about his book? Um, you know, I, it's the first time I've heard of this book, and, and I'm definitely going to have to get a copy of it. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that philanthropy isn't, isn't necessarily about money. Um, I always tell people that fundraising isn't about money. Um, it, it usually ends in money, but it's about relationships and about creating relationships that are long lasting. And those relationships should transcend the money in that just because in a bad year, and we're having one by the way, where people are not gonna be able to make gifts to organizations they care about because they have to take care of their families, they have to take care of their friends. They're gonna give more money to their church. Uh, they're going to make. They're going to have to make hard decisions about who they're giving to. If that person doesn't make my, a gift to my organization, but they've been supporting for 20 years, do I abandon them and do I ignore them because they're not giving money through our fundraising? No, because I have a relationship with them that transcends their financial giving or possibly their volunteerism, and so it becomes a whole different thing. So yeah, philanthropy is is definitely a mindset beyond money. And, and I love that you're bringing that to the surface so that people are going to understand what it's about. I'm glad you asked me where to get the book. You did ask me, right? There's a website called Philanthropy Misunderstood, and I'm going to let you go back to your listening mode, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Um, yes, sir. There's, there's, a sub, there's a site um, called philanthropymisunderstood.org. Philanthropy Misunderstood, which is the title of the book, dot org and you can find out how to get the book there so i'm so glad he asked that bob <laughs> thank you jeffrey I'm, i want to know more about you as well so i'm gonna look you up um, i'm a member of afp and i'm a cfre as well and um there's a couple of people in the book who are acfres scott staub and alphonse brown and they have great stories in there and not about fundraising as you say it was about relationship building and the volunteerism that they participated in as well now, not everybody wrote a story in there. Is There's a story about a horse. Who yeah. wrote that? Well, I wrote that one, um, actually. And it's my best story. And I wanted it to be my best story. I wanted philanthropy to be on my front cover. And philanthropy happens to be a horse. And uh, it's my horse. I'm into horses. So anyway, um, this woman by the name of Tracy Carruth, who's a big philanthropist in Dallas, raised horses and breeds horses. I happen to have an Arabian horse, and she she uh, breeds Arabian horses. And Napatov, who's her head, most beautiful world champion horse, was retiring. And before he died or left the breeding ring, she wanted to make sure that I got an offspring from Napatov. So she gave me the semen from Napatov to go into Sherry Rochesta, who was my Arabian. And through that, we got a beautiful horse that I 
named philanthropy. So I wanted to start that as my first story and my editor didn't, didn't like it, so we put it in the back. But <laughs> I am there with Tracy Carruth and our horses. So that's the story. Yes. Um, you know, the, the standards for everything here, the quality of the photographs, the quality of the writing, the, the design of the book, just all of these, all of these um, sections in the book. Um, so you start out with circle of influence and Jeffrey started uh, heading us that way, but just a minute, it's not about money. It's about relationship. You and I, when we had lunch recently, we talked about relationship. Um, you now have a relationship with all these people and they wanted to be in your book, but why is relationship important to our work? Relationship in, in our teaching at Center Vision, it's, it's the underpinning of leadership. It's the underpinning of ministry. It's the, the support for communications. And really, funding and philanthropy happens as a result of relationship. So say more about that. You started talking about it a little bit, but we got a few minutes left. Why don't you talk about relationship and how it's important? Well, Debbie Morizic, who's one of the writers, uh, wrote an, a part in the book called the circle, your, your Circle of Influence. Who are all those people that are going to take care of you and who are going to take you to the airport and, and loan you sugar and, and pick you up and tell you, tell you uh, where to get the plumber? So anyway, I have my students write 100 people that they know and then whittle it down to 25 and then 15 who are going to be in their circle of influence. I teach networking. There's Debbie Morizic right there. Yeah. Not what you know, it's who you know. And that's what it's, the topic is. And that's the first thing and the last thing I say in my classes. It's not who you know, it's what you know. I mean, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And my students, I say, how many people do you know? They don't know 100 people. One of them knew seven. I know seven people. It's all my family members. No, I don't want to meet anybody. And no, I don't need people. I don't need people. So finally, I said to the class, okay, I'm going to take students to Nepal. It's going to cost $1,500. How many of you can raise the money to make it happen? And so I went to this girl who said she knew seven people and she didn't want to know any more people. And she said, I don't know anybody. And I don't want to know anybody. I guess I'm not going to Nepal. I said, I guess you're not. Well, we took people to Nepal because my students most of the time realize that, you know what, I've got a great number of people around me who do care about me, but there is a method, a methodology of how to influence people and how to cultivate people and how to get them to be your friends. And then more than friends, how to be um, a good friend, how to help people and actually go around hunting for things to do for people. And um, that's what I want my students to become. Because I, I don't think that we get anywhere in life without others. And um, that's one of the key, key um, principles that I teach in my communication classes. Mm -hmm. So your class that I sat in on is really about communications. But you're really, you're really promoting good thinking skills. And like I said, communications to me is based on relationship. We can send a whole bunch of emails that nobody reads. So it's not about data. No. Um, I send emails and I pick up the phone and we used to send faxes and then we used to go knock on their door and then we used to drive by and um, 
I think that this time right now, we're trying to figure out how to continue life and in solitude since we are told to stay home and stay home alone. And I think we're finding the television and this computer even more important than ever because that's the only way we're being able to stay in touch is through this cell phone that we love so much and this computer. Um, however, I can go next door and I can knock on the door and I can take him a cake and just say, I was thinking of you and realize that you may not have any sweets, any desserts at your house today or whatever, you know? Uh, sometimes I'll have my lawnmower man come out and, you know, next door, they don't mow their lawn very much. Go, go mow their lawn. I'll pay you the 10 or $15 it's going to cost. And the people come home and they go, oh my God, I can't believe you had somebody mow my lawn. Well, it was just a philanthropy, philanthropic idea I had was to love mankind and do something for the person next door. Bob is an inspiration. I just, my idea is it is popping. And uh, you, you, you have um, probably 100 creative ideas every six seconds. Uh, so you're, uh, you're, you're prolific. So um, in, in these stories, um, 100 plus stories from people who helped change the world. And we're all doing our part. You know, it's not one person, but actually one person can start a, a movement. Um, a friend of mine lives here in, in Lynchburg. He was the person that's, that founded Stop Hunger Now, which is now Rise Against Hunger. And before we had this little setback with the coronavirus thing, they were, they were on target to, to package 750 million meals. And their vision is to end hunger in our lifetime. And it's not just about packaging the meals, but it's, it's, it's about a whole lot more than that. But one person thought of that and founded it, and it's, it's a major movement that will exist long past his lifetime, which is what he wanted. It's a legacy. So what are the legacy, what are the legacy possibilities for any of us who want to say, oh, I want to do something for humankind and have it keep going? Are there, are there possibilities for all of us? Well, I always say, what are you doing for the person that just passed away in your life? What are you going to do for your mother? What are you going to do for your father? And I got involved in, there's a story in here about going to Nepal. And I got involved in, in building schools in Nepal with Don Wilkes. You said Don was in your audience. I don't know if it's Don Wilkes or not, but if it is, Don Wilkes got me involved. Don Lukey, uh, L-E-L-U-E-K-E. -E. Okay. Let me tell you about Don Lukey since he's there um, instead of Don Wilkes. Um, Don Lukey is from Kansas City. And he and I met probably 30 years ago because he taught children at his children's school about giving also. It's called the Junior Leadership. And it's similar to my PAVE program, Philanthropy and Volunteerism and Education. But for the last, I know, 15 years, maybe 20 years, he and a man by the name of Steve O'Neill in Kansas City, who are business people, businessmen, take time out of their every week teaching children at the Catholic school where their children go about giving back. And this has become so sophisticated that, that this last year I was a part of a seminar that they had at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, where all of his students, their students, maybe 30 or 40 of them, came and gave presentations on nonprofit organizations that they had helped in the community. So he does similar things that I, to, that I do, is, is to empower young people in getting involved in the community, and he's doing it in a very good way. And there's a double page in here about he and this, this group. 
um, that he's doing there. Don Wilkes in Nepal, for instance, what, do you, what, how, what can you do to honor somebody? Uh, he sent me something out and said, you know, if you could make a contribution of a couple of thousand dollars, we'll put somebody's name on a classroom in Nepal, in the school that we're building. And so I called my brother and sister and said, you know, for $2,000, we can put our mother's name on a classroom in Nepal. Well, my brother says, I want to see a video. I want to see what it looks like. And so I sent him a video and he called me back immediately and said, let's do it. My sister said, sight unseen, let's do it. We want to honor our mother. So for $2,000, our mother's name is on a school in Nepal. And I know because I went to Nepal to see it. I had to go see my mother's name. And when I got out of the car and the children were clapping for me as I was walking in the, amongst them, because I gave a simple $2,000 and put my mother's name on the, on the deal, gave me such joy that we decided to do it again. So I put my cousin's name and my aunt's name on another classroom in this, another school that they're building in Nepal. That's how you can honor people. And that's the legacy that you can provide, not necessarily for yourself, but for somebody else that meant a lot in this society. And everybody that we run around with meant a lot in this society. They did something in their lives that changed the world. Absolutely. Oh, that's an inspiration. Um, are you willing to <clears throat> entertain questions if I open the mics for people? Absolutely. All right, I'm gonna open, I'm gonna unmute everybody's mic. So um, if anybody has a question, you're, uh, you can all, uh, see it says unmute, unmuted, unmute all. So if anybody wants to talk, uh, let me know. I have to do it individually, okay. Anybody wanna share anything or ask a question? Um, we got about five minutes so we can do that. So everybody has, um, has a chance to chat right now. So who has a comment or a question? You just have to unmute your mic and, uh, and, and ask the question or make a comment. Well, Hugh and Bob, this is Eric Gruber from the University of North Texas. How you doing, Bob? It's good. Oh, Eric, good to see you again. Uh -huh. um, I just want to say, Hugh, thank you for hosting Bob. Um, Bob and I are new acquaintances through some of our students at the Texas Academy of Mathematics and Science here at the University of North Texas in Denton, just, just north of the DFW Metroplex. And uh, Bob was actually scheduled to come and speak to uh, some students on our campus uh, last week. And um, unfortunately, we, we had to cancel that. But uh, Bob was gracious enough to uh, bring up some of the books that we purchased for our students and faculty and staff. And so we spent a few minutes violating the, the university's uh, shelter-in-place order, uh, visiting in my office for, uh, for 20 to 30 minutes. <clears throat> but I just wanted to say, Bob, that it's it's been lovely uh, watching you today and hearing your stories again. And just a huge thank you to Hugh for hosting uh, this event. Uh, he he does you credit, and I'm I'm glad for that for all of your efforts. So thank you, Hugh, very much. Thank you, Eric. Blessings. Thank you, Eric. We got time for a couple more. Um, Chip, Don, Jordy, Penny, anybody want to comment? There, it's a quiet group today, Bob. You've uh, You're not uh, Nancy. 
This is Nancy Carroll Hopkins Urias. I am Bob's sister. Oh. And I'm watching from Tucson, Arizona. Um, obviously, Bob has been an influence in a lot of people's lives, including mine and my and our younger brother. Um, I wanted to make a comment a little bit on the volunteerism point or the piece. Um, first of all, Bob gets asked often and frequently, how come he stays so young and is so active at his age and has so much energy? And if you look up and do some research on volunteerism, there, there's a lot of research that shows that volunteerism actually helps you medically, emotionally, physically, keeps you young, literally, it does. And there's medical research to prove that. So if anybody wants to know how Bob stays so young and so energetic, it has nothing to do with vitamins and pills that he's taking. It has everything to do with the work that he does. I agree. Very, very helpful, Nancy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing that. You're uh, welcome. That you don't have to take tonic if you hang around Bob Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You don't. <laughs> it's um, that's that's so rich. Um, come on, one or one or if somebody else want to make a comment. This is so helpful. By the way, we're our governor put slapped a restraining stay-at-home order on us yesterday until June the tenth. But one of the exceptions is volunteerism. If you volunteer for a charity, you can get out and do it. So um, that was a good thing. I thought. Anybody else before we uh, go back to our conversation? Hi, this hey. is Penny Rambacker. How you doing, Bob? Then <laughs> they said Penny. I was hoping it was you. <laughs> um, I'd like to make um, another comment about the idea of having purpose. I think Bob has a purpose, as many of us philanthropists have. And I had been reading a book recently, and it said that Two of the things that you can do to be the happiest in life are one, to have a purpose and to feel needed. And that keeps you alive, keeps you young. And then second is to be grateful. And those of us that practice gratitude and appreciate what we have are oftentimes people who are giving because they've seen other people with greater needs than their own. And so they become grateful for all of the things that they have in their life. And I know that I had a huge gratitude lesson um, way back when I first got into this. And that was when I visited the garbage dump in Guatemala City. And I saw children living there. And it really touched my heart and I had to do something about it. So I found my purpose. And I also felt very gr grateful for the life that I have. And so, um, Two good things to think about when you're doing philanthropy. <laughs> yep, that's me. <laughs> and my kids. <laughs> exactly. What page, what page is that on, Bob? That's on page um, 48 and 49. Yeah, love it, love it. So great, great stories. Penny, uh, where are you? I'm in Naples, Florida. We work in Guatemala, and um, my charity's built 57 schools in the mountains of Guatemala but we also sell handicrafts. So we just sent out an e-news telling people, hey, visit our store online, it's virus free. <laughs> you can go shopping for greater good. <laughs> so yeah. if you wanna go shopping, we've got great things on st at store.miraclesinaction.org. 
get my plug in there. Good for you. Good for the work. I've been to Guatemala. People are very poor and they have lots of wonderful natural resources and uh, they do wonderful clothes with all these designs at them. They're just brilliant. What are you showing there, Bob? Don Lukey's in your audience and I see his name. And this is his story. <laughs> yeah, Don Lukey, he's in the book. What page is Don on? Don is probably could tell you. He's on page 82 and 83. So Don, you want to comment? Before, I'm going to have to go back to the silent mode in a minute. So Don, you're on, what, what page is he on? 82 and 83. 83. Don, you got your mic on. Hey, Bob, can you hear me? I can. Excellent. This is a great uh, opportunity to showcase, I think, your work, Bob, and, and, and the work of everybody in that book. So I, I appreciate, the, uh, appreciate the efforts on your part. And just, um, just want to add just everybody. I mean, everybody's, you know, we talk about having a purpose, and I think that's what makes us get up every day, at least makes us get up quicker. So um, I don't know if I have a lot more to add. I'm, I'm kind of humbled to everybody's story that's in the book. So I just, I think I'm just one of the many. Thank you for, thank you for sharing. I think I'm, I'm humbled just being, uh, being part of uh, Bob's network. So uh, we're going to go back to the silent, silent mode here. Um, so, so Bob, um, we got to end this because we've come up to the, the end of our time. Uh, so, I want to do a commercial message here. Um, our, our sponsor is WordSprint. WordSprint supports us. We stay in touch with our tribe through mail mail. So it's the right message and the right frequency to the right person. So we need to stay in touch with those who support us, our volunteers, our donors, the philanthropists. We want to tell them what's happening with the support they give us. So WordSprint.com, check them out. We print and publish a magazine. WordSprint does that and mails it. So we we stay in touch with our tribe and they support us in our online community. Uh, so when you go to the nonprofit exchange.org, click on that join button and there's a dollar offer and you get a whole lot of stuff worth a whole lot of money for your dollar. Plus you get the camaraderie and the support of other nonprofit leaders. And you get time with me every week. We're on a zoom like this and people help each other. Uh, so check out the community. It's for people building communities and doing philanthropic work. So Bob, what's a parting thought you'd like to leave with people today? Well, I'm going to do another book. It's called um, Philanthropy Understood. And it's going to be new people and some of the old people who we want to expand upon. Um, you know, I'd like to do something with TAMS. Uh, I think TAMS is a great program that Eric Groover has been a part of uh, before. And um, there are so many people that I have been thinking about, oh my gosh, well, I forgot so-and-so, or oh my goodness, I need to do so-and-so, or I'd like to really be involved more with this particular group of people. And that's what I'm doing right now, and that's why so many people are here of, of, who are in the book, is because I sent out a memo telling them all that we're needing to stay together on a monthly basis. We did have a man pass away yesterday in the book, John, uh, Charles Lowe, and um, he has spent 45 years working with the disease called neurofibromatosis, and I worked for them for eight years. And um, I was able to tell all of the people in the book about his passing, and so many people responded who didn't really even know Charles Lowe, but did know his article in the, in the book. I think the more we, do, we create this circle of influence around ourselves, um, the richer our lives are going to be. And also the kinds of people that we, that we depend upon 
to our daily, I always try to find people, like you said, Hugh, who are smarter than you, who have more things going for them, because they ain't going to lift me up instead of running around with people who are going to pull me down. And uh, so I guess um, my challenge to everyone is to continue these kinds of groups and to continue doing good together, because that's, I think, the real fun about uh, philanthropy and being volunteers is that it's, it's a togetherness thing. I did go with Penny to Guatemala and I love the experience and uh, she's in the book. And you know what? I went with her 20 years ago and that, and I included her in the book because that experience changed my life 20 years ago. And it's just one of those many. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.